Hello, Chris here with another installment of the Make It Podcast, and I have a highly requested treat for you going into the weekend. Today on the podcast, we have a conversation with writer, director, and producer Jennifer Bonior. Jennifer is a California native and a longtime Nashville resident. She is a writer, director, producer with a passion for blending the sweet with the macabre. When not producing for Five Stone Studios or running the Nashville 48-hour film project, Jennifer is following her dream of creating twisted shorts with her partners at Daisy Dukes Films, Dicey Wildman, and Stephanie Adams. This year's 48-hour film project is happening August 16th through the 18th, so uh, enter quickly. Uh, or your time will run out. And the 48-hour film festival and screening is happening August 28th and 29th at the beautiful Belcourt Theater. And now, without any further delay, I give you the girl in the squirrel suit. You'll just have to listen to truly understand that one. The amazing Jennifer Bonyer. You're listening to Make It, a podcast by Bonsai Creative that helps aspiring professionals in film get where they're going faster by dissecting the advice, knowledge, and insights of professional creatives in the film industry. I'm your host, Chris Barkley. I am Jennifer Bonnier. I am a writer, director, producer, and you might know me as the Nashville director for the 48-hour film project. And what do I have going on right now? Everything. Constantly working on short films. <laughs> it really is true, actually. Because right? It's like, I don't even know how to narrow it down. Is that acceptable? Is that an okay way to say that? That's perfectly fine. And, and welcome to the Make It Podcast, Jennifer. This has been <laughs> A long time coming. I, I think even more than you know, um, we have gotten probably around 15 separate requests to interview you. No. It's true. That is outrageous. I don't believe it. It's true. Can <laughs> it I call is. can I call liar on that one? <laughs> you can, but it wouldn't be <laughs> it would not be accurate. So you have a lot of love um, in the industry and a lot of people who want to hear your take. But I think um, a part of it has to do with um, your personality um, on the set. And, and oh. you know, I think you have this thing where um, uh, you're not shrouded, but you're you know, you're professional and you, you, you get things done. Um, but that also can come off as, as someone who keeps to themselves. Is that, is that by design? Oh my gosh. Um, I'm going to say no, because I am not thinking that far ahead on set. I am very much caught up in the moment. So whatever is coming out is just, I can't even explain it. It's just what's happening in the moment. You just got to go with the flow. You know what it's like being on set. There is no time to really think ahead. You're just, what do I need to get done right now to ensure this ship stays afloat? Well, I I agree with you completely, especially as a producer and you've done all these shorts. You've got 17 producer credits and I, you counted them. (laughs) I did. (laughs) (laughs) And, and, but I actually think though that, the persona that you have, and sometimes we don't control this, right? Like our nonverbals, we don't know what we're doing, how we're coming off all the time. Yeah. But I think mm-hmm. it works really well with your brand of being this horror lover, horror producer. So yeah. there's there's a bit of a mystery around you Ooh, that you've sort of that. unintentionally put out there. Um, and, and, and maybe people mm-hmm. think it is by design, right? Oh, well, then I'll take credit for it. Why not? It was, it was all a plan. I was I was lying earlier. <laughs> well, you mentioned shorts and you've done a few. You've done uh, one that I uh, love. Um, my sort of my first introduction to you was was contrary to likeness. Um, and um, but before that, uh, you did a um, 
just an an absolutely um, terrifying uh, short named Nuts, <laughs> and, uh, and so so in full transparency, Jennifer, I've watched all your short movies and trailers. Oh wow! And That's- and Nuts takes a turn, doesn't it? It really, really does. Yeah. So believe it or not, that was the first 48 that I ever worked on. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was barely a part of it. Honestly, that was me getting called in to help with the tiniest little thing. And I wish I could take more credit for it. But it was after that short was made that I went on board with all of the guys from Untrademarked is what we called ourselves at the Mm -hmm. time. And that's kind of when our um, friendship was solidified. And from there, we just kept making creepier and creepier shorts. But I love that you went all the way back to nuts. Yeah, because I was curious, um, you know, I don't know if how close of a relationship you had to um, the writer, but is any part of that story true? Oh, no, not that I'm aware of. I, he, so the writer is Doug Mallet, and he comes from a very small town. And I know he's always drawing inspiration from that tiny town in Illinois where he grew up. But to my knowledge, none of it is true. Thank goodness. So <laughs> for the, for the listeners, what happens is, is there's uh, a girl dressed up in a squirrel costume and she's doing this thing where the, the store is closing and there's 70%, 75% off everything. And three guys come over and beat the hell out of her. And then one guy uh, pulls an R Kelly and pees on her. And, and we find out, uh, after the beating happens, uh, the squirrel is actually a girl. So the guys probably didn't know that going into it, mm-hmm. thinking they're beating up a guy in a squirrel costume. It's a girl. And then, uh, at a party sometime in the future, she exacts her revenge in the most, uh, creepy and gruesome way possible. And, and I bring up nuts because I want to, um, put a flag in the ground on that and get back Mm -hmm. to it in a moment. Um, I'm going to rewind the tape a little bit here. I'm, um, I'm curious how you fell into art. I mean, you, you come from a family of PhDs, doctors, academia, people in healthcare, uh, your, your brothers, even a PhD. Um, both of them are, believe it or not. Both (laughs) brothers actually. Yes, that's right. And, how did you, like, what was the moment you knew you weren't going to follow those paths and you were going to do film? I wish that there was some really romantic story behind this, but honestly, what happened is I was a uh, freshman in high school and I got an assignment for a English honors class to make a video. And I made a video, was obsessed with it. It did really well. And the teacher assigned us to make another video. And from there, I just fell down that rabbit hole and never looked back. And I know you've been quoted as saying that if you, if you weren't going to be in film, you would be a teacher. And, Mm -hmm. and that story reminds me, it just makes me think about, I I hope teachers know this. I think they do, but if they don't, teachers have to realize the um, value they like these moments that they have, that the power that they have to inspire a kid, because when I was in ninth grade, um, mm-hmm. there was like a, a poetry competition and I didn't care about poetry. I was playing football. I was playing basketball. I, you know, I, I could play piano, but, but that wasn't the cool thing. Right. And, <laughs> and I just wrote my, my feelings on paper and I got this really soulful and honest feedback from my English teacher. I don't even remember her name, Jen. I, I don't remember yeah. her name, but she impacted <laughs> my life. Because I stuck, I stuck with it because I got this reinforcement that I wasn't getting from my parents at the time Mm -hmm. or my friends, or it just wasn't a thing, right? Like it wasn't that they didn't want to give me that feedback. It was just, it wasn't what I was doing. And I kind of felt ass backwards into sort of realizing I might have a talent at something, right? Oh, that's beautiful. Right. And so you get this assignment, your video does well. Yeah. And suddenly you're like, I like that feeling. I like, yeah. <laughs> I like those endorphins. <laughs> exactly. It was just like watching my class laugh at my ridiculous video about, I don't even remember which Shakespeare play was 
the highest high I'd ever had. And from then on, I was like, I need to make more movies. And did you like, what was your next film after that one? Oh, it was for another Shakespeare that I don't even remember what it was. And then from there we went on and we had this thing called tribe TV because mm-hmm. uh, we were the Cherokees. So I did tape tribe TV all through high school and just was making constantly little skits and shorts and things, this and that. And then just realized I needed to go to an art school, wound up coming to Nashville and going to Watkins College and just never left. You never left. You did really well there. You did summa cum, you were summa cum laude. So you yes. were a very- You did your homework. <laughs> well, we, we have this, we have a crack research team here on the podcast <laughs> <laughs> that makes, you know, helps me get really prepared. Um, but you mentioned, just to be clear for the audience, um, sure. you're not a Cherokee. That was your high school's yes. mascot. Correct. Um, what, what high school was it? Where, where, where was it at? So it's McMinn County High School, which mm-hmm. is the tiniest little high school. Um, it's over in East Tennessee in a tiny town called Athens. That is where my parents moved me when I was in junior high. There you go. <laughs> yep, absolutely. That is a very, very tiny place, not to be confused with McMinnville. Um, Correct. Which I think is bigger. Which, yes, say <laughs> is also a tiny little town that happens to be bigger than McMinn. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. I think Athens, which is within McMinn County, is uh, 10,000 people. It's yeah, tiny. It is. It, and now you've made it to Nashville, and we're so lucky that, to have you. But you've, you've been around. You've been uh, in L.A. Uh, working. You've been in the Bay working. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll, we'll talk about that. I. I'm uh, curious. You, so you're doing these films or Shakespeare films. Yeah. What um, I know that you love storytelling because of the perspectives it allows you to tell multiple types, you know, the same story multiple different ways uh, or in a multitude of ways. Let me have a better yeah. turn of phrase there. <laughs> why? Why horror? Why did you why did you get into that? Oh, Um, again, I wish I was one of those people that had like a really romantic story. I feel like we both just told stories about English professors and your story was so much more exciting than mine was. (laughs) Like I made something. It wasn't. Thanks. (laughs) Um, no, my parents were always way, way into movies. So as long as I can remember, we would watch films. I mean, so my family, here's a story for you. My family had laser discs. I don't know if anybody knows what those are, but they were really cool back in the day. I did. I had them too. (laughs) And I remember we would go when I was little, my parents would take us every weekend to the store and they would just be like, pick a movie. I don't care what you pick. Just go pick your laser disc and we'll take it home and we'll watch it. And so I grew up on movies and my parents didn't really have a lot of restrictions when it came to what we were allowed to watch. So, I mean, I was watching everything. I was watching Jaws and Predator and just all these movies that you should not allow a very small child to watch. (laughs) But I was watching them. And so I think I never developed a sensitivity that a lot of people do to those kind of graphic or horrific films. And as I got older, I started to realize that I genuinely enjoyed them. And I loved how you could discuss so many different things under the guise of horror, because most people, when they walk into a horror film, they're just expecting blood, guts, and gore. Mm -hmm. And they don't put up that barrier that so many people do. When you walk into a drama, everyone's like, oh, okay, I got to prepare myself. We're going to talk about something hard. I don't know. I got to put up these boundaries and get ready. But with horror, it just sometimes hits you in the face. And you're just like, oh, was not expecting to have that conversation, but okay, I'm open to it. Yeah. You you guys are really smart about it. And I'm speaking directly about sort of, you know, what you've done over the last decade and along with, you know, Daisy Dukes, which we'll talk about here in a little bit. Um, You guys will interject comedy. You guys will interject um, social commentary into the horror that makes it um, different. Um, It's, 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 it's gory and it's it's violent. That's fun. But you got to have a little blood. (laughs) Yeah, but but with a it has a it has a thought. It has um you know, it's kinda like um I wouldn't compare anything that you've done to the purge, but um but the purge is one of those things where, okay, you know, let's ask this question out loud through a movie. Yeah. Because yeah, we, because we're we kinda don't wanna necessarily ask it in a in a you know, 
um, Eric Fromm kind of way, right? Like we, yeah. you know, we want, we want to just ask it through a movie and see how people respond. Personally, I, I think Twitter is like that. I think Twitter is like the purge, but for messaging, <laughs> it's like, just throw it all out there. Just see what happens. Murphy's yes. law. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I feel like people, I feel like people use Twitter to say the shittiest things that come to their mind and heart mm-hmm. so that they don't have to be those shitty people in the, in real life. That is a good way of looking at it. Right. I like, always looked at it as like they're behind their computer. They have this wall built up, this, this guys they can hide behind, but you're right. Maybe it is just, I got to get it out. No, two things can be true. It's absolutely the point. Like, cause also the purge is like that too. Oh, I'm not going to go to jail for killing tonight. Okay, cool. Then I'm going to do what I, what I've been thinking about. Cause mm-hmm. I can't go to jail today for doing it. Right. right like yeah. that's the fear. So the fear might be, I can't say this to this person and, because I don't want to get my ass whooped or I don't want to like ruin my personal brand or my reputation or I don't want my family to be embarrassed. But on Twitter, you know, I can say this and, and maybe, you know, get a, you know, just get yeah. that off my chest. Now the importance of social media, I think has changed so much that now if you have any notoriety at all, you absolutely are not allowed to purge on Twitter. So true. Yeah. You can't do that at all. So that's, but and you did bring back some memories for me on LaserDisc. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, LaserDisc. I watched, um, now I didn't have permission, but oh. I, me and my sister, Michelle, we would uh, sneak awake at night and um, uh, sneak downstairs, like probably about like midnight or so parents mm-hmm. would be knocked out. And we'd put in that uh, Richard Pryor. Mm. We'd watch. So I first watched Richard Pryor stand up um, like in the, like when I was like, I I don't know if I was 10. You should not watch Richard Pryor before you're 10 years old. (laughs) 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 Because the I sometimes like, because you were watching The Predator and Jaws, right? So you see all this imagery that's Mm -hmm. really violent and scary. But but people like Eddie Murphy, when you watch Eddie Murphy Raw or Richard Pryor, They're actually planting ideas in your head about what could be possible. And because they're not characters, it hits you like, oh, that really, that's real. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So (laughs) that's how I got corrupted. True. I love it. (laughs) We both have our great corruption stories. Yes, we do. That's how I did. That's how I got corrupt. (laughs) What is your, what is your favorite horror movie of all time? Oh God, I hate that question. Okay, I'll, asked, I'll, I'll bail you out. Give me top three. Top three. Okay. Um, I feel like I've been on a big the thing. Honestly, I think this might be my favorite because I have been asked this question. Honestly, when you're in horror, everybody's just like, "What's your favorite horror movie?" Uh, which is it a happens. fair question. Mm-hmm. But um, I my answer lately has been the thing more times than I can remember. So I think I have to go with that. Wow. So why? Uh, Because I think it's doing exactly what we just talked about. It is a film that on the surface level, sorry, on the surface level, that's the word, um, (laughs) appears to just be this gruesome horror film about some guys, you know, in the Arctic. And this thing comes in and slowly creeps through and it's suspenseful. The puppetry is amazing. The practical effects are amazing. But ultimately, it was actually discussed to be an allegory for the AIDS epidemic at the time. So it was a way of discussing a really horrific topic, mm. but under the guise of horror. Right. Right. Yeah. It, it, um, we, I didn't know that. So that's really, uh, interesting and cool. So I'm gonna have to go back and rewatch it now. And, uh, and I'll let you know yeah. what I think about it. Please I'm trying do. To think. Yeah. It's, um, I think actually I learned that in college in a horror film class. And I remember it just like blowing my mind. That was one of those times when I started to recognize how much I loved horror because never would anyone watch that movie and go, Hey, we're discussing AIDS. But the second somebody exactly. says it and you classify it, cause it happened in the early eighties. And it's when, you know, you just start to realize in society what was happening in the conversation that like John Carpenter was trying to have and yeah, got to go yeah. rewatch it. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting. Um, the same thing happened with, uh, Darren Aronofsky's mother. 
People yeah. people get high anxiety watching it and just hate oh. the movie, hate it. And then oh, you I tell them, and then you tell them what it's about, and they're like, "Oh, I like it a little more." Okay, now I'm listening. Oh, I get it. And yeah. and you, they, it's not that they love the movie or that they would watch it again, mm-hmm. but it's that it's that. Oh, that's why he put me through all that shit. Yeah. So right. I have a confession. Okay. I hate that movie. Everybody just said it. Everybody <laughs> I, hates I it. I hate it. I hate it. I totally get what he was doing. I totally understand what he was trying to make me feel like. But, oh, I was so angry when I left that movie. I was like, I need to rant and talk to someone about my emotions. This is not okay. <laughs> so, the, so tell me if I'm spot on here because the part um, – and uh, I, I watched it with a bunch of women, actually. Oh, well, that's so perfect. I, so, so I was, I was getting all sorts of feels from like all around me, mm-hmm. and the part that they hated was that people kept disobeying Jennifer Lawrence. <laughs> Ooh, throughout the movie, no. like it was like it, yeah. it was frustrating them that she wasn't able to control her house guests. Yeah, nobody took her seriously because she keeps saying like. Don't sit on the sink, right? Yeah, don't sit on the sink. Because that's when, like, the whole um, the flood is supposed to happen. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, no, that's that's a really good point. That definitely annoyed me, but I don't know that I ever um, articulated that. I think that in the the baby scene, probably. Oh, of course, absolutely. You did a movie named Worm, though, that I thought was cut a little bit like a Aronofsky film. Oh, At least the well, trailer thank was. You. Yeah, that looked good. With you know, with the whole. Sort of requiem for a dream. Yes. Break the egg, crack the worms into the pan kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, that um, was a really fun movie to shoot. Took forever, but it was a great experience. Whatever happened with it? Um, so it actually got picked up for distribution. So we made it, um, and it feels like centuries ago. So Yeah, 2013. Yeah, but I think it took us almost two years to shoot, almost another year to fully edit. And then we um, got distribution through a company called Synapse, and they specialize in a lot of like um, cult re-releases. So it felt like a really nice pairing for us to be with them. And then through them, we got picked up in the UK with a company called Left Hand Films. So it never had a theatrical release or anything, but for a bunch of kids just running around with a camera right out of film school, we were thrilled that anybody would even want to consider watching our movie or putting it on DVD. I cannot tell you how excited we were when we were like, really? DVD? We're going to be on a DVD? Exactly. That is (laughs) such a wonderful feeling, right? Like, you you produced and acted in that film, correct? I did, but my role is so tiny. I was supposed to have a much, much larger role. Mm -hmm. Um, And I don't know if you know this, actually, but so the guys that I used to work with all the time on Trademarked, who are still dear friends, Mm -hmm. yeah, but um, we just have... We are now split up across the country, so we don't get to work together very often. Um, Everything we would do would actually be improv-based. So when we would get together, we would sit down and we would develop some sort of outline. And then, because we got to start doing the 48 together, you know, nuts. And we would create an outline and then immediately start shooting. And so after all the success we had with the 48, we kind of said to ourselves, well, why not? Let's just make a feature 48-hour style, which is the worst decision ever. Do not do that. So, so a lot of the people that listen to this are from your alma mater and are getting started in, in thinking about their own projects. Tell everyone why shooting a feature like a 48 is such a bad idea. Oh, so many reasons. Um, I think it's, you know, scripts exist for a reason. Screenwriting is a profession for a reason. And while it's a great idea when you have the confines of 48 hours, when you have those limitations and that sandbox that you have to play in, it makes perfect sense to cut corners and lean on your actors because you know that they're great at improv. And if you give them the outline of the scene and the arc that you need them to hit, you know they're going to do it and you can cut that corner. But when you're doing a feature, I think our first cut was like seven hours long because it was all improv. Yes, the scenes and the beats were there, but it was like we didn't ever get to the point quickly enough or Oh man. It was just it was brutal. 
and it all came together in the end, which is great and a true testament to the strength of our actors and their talents. But it was just not a good choice. Scripts exist for a reason. Use them. Yep. I, totally cool. And, and, and yeah. there'll be a, a portion of, I, and by the way, I agree with you completely. And uh, it sounds like the Wild West to do it in, <laughs> to oh, shoot so it like much. a 48. But um, it's a great comparison. Yeah. <laughs> um, there are people who don't know what the 48 is. So you're Ooh. the director of the 48 here in Nashville. It's coming up. Yeah. Um, tell everybody, describe to everyone listening that doesn't know what is a 48 hour competition, um, a little background on it, and when is oh. it going to happen this year? Sure. So here's my spiel. Ready, set, go. Uh, so the 48 <laughs> is a traveling international film competition in which you create a short film concept to completion in just 48 hours. It sounds impossible, but I assure you it is not. It can be done. I did it many times and so many other people have. Uh, but the 48, I don't know how long the actual um, competition itself has been in, it, in existence, but it has been here in Nashville for 17 years. There are over 130 cities worldwide now that compete in it. And this year's competition is going to be taking place August 16th through the 18th. Fantastic. Fantastic. Such a, a interesting concept. I love um, mm-hmm. how even the playing field is. Um, yes. That's the most intriguing thing because from my perspective, you know, we come in, we want to, um, be advisory producers. We want to talk mm-hmm. about brand. We want to be EPs. Um, it's, it's fun to see how everyone with the same opportunity, just about, um, yeah. what, what do they create and, yeah. um, how do they pull it off? How resourceful are they? Uh, the, one of the things we talk about, uh, episode to episode, and especially, uh, on our indie talks that we do, uh, bi-weekly, uh, Nick and I, um, mm-hmm my co-founder, Nick, um, is execution. Can the team execute? Cause sometimes you have a great script mm-hmm. and, uh, you have the money, um, yeah. you have some of the money, but you need more money maybe. And the question comes up, can you execute what's on the page? Um, and, and, and there's no easy way as a filmmaker to prove that to someone who wants to give you money. So true. Uh, that's really difficult to do because, I mean, to your point, um, you know, you shot a feature like a 48, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah. that's not a good execution. But a 48, I think uh, if you're going to pick a short to review and mm-hmm. say, okay, I can execute, look at this, that's the one you want to pick because the confines you're in as a filmmaker, the resourcefulness you need to pull off a really great film in a 48. I think yeah. it's, I think it says something. It says something about who you are and who your team is. Yeah, absolutely. It shows an ability to be flexible and to think on your feet. And just for anybody who's listening, that's not familiar with it. So when you show up Friday evening at what we call kickoff, you draw a genre out of a hat and that is the genre of the film that you have to make. And then you're also given a line of dialogue, a character and a prop that all have to be incorporated into the film. And so it's not like you can cheat the system and write some script like months in advance for this thing. You have no idea what you're making until you show up Friday night. So you really do have to be very resourceful and just have a really tight knit team that can work efficiently because you don't know what's going to happen until you get there. Mm-hmm. That's uh, I love it. I can't wait to attend this year and, and see which films stand out. Um, you have produced, you've directed four shorts, you've been, you've acted in shorts, you've done all these different roles. Um, what's your passion? What, which one do you enjoy doing the most? So I'm kind of split. Um, acting I did out of necessity because there just weren't that many girls in film school. So I constantly was in things. Mm-hmm. because I was the only girl around. Um, <laughs> uh, no, I really do love writing and directing. I, I need a creative outlet. And so I constantly am doing short films to fulfill that side of me, but I also really get a huge fulfillment out of producing. So that's why I think I call myself a writer, director, producer, not that I mm-hmm. enjoy producing the things that I write and direct. I actually think that can be a hindrance most of the time. Cause you're not focusing on the creative side. If you're trying to make sure that lunch is going to arrive on time. Right. You know, yeah. but I really do love being 
behind the scenes and ensuring that a writer or director has everything that they need to tell their story. And so we actually have um, Daisy Dukes. We helped a really good friend of ours, Caleb Dirks, who has been a, a longtime partner of ours as a DP. And he came up with this wonderful concept for a film called Untitled that we were really excited about. And we were just like, no, we want to produce this for you. It is too good to not be told. And so that was a really fun experience to get to use that skill set to bring someone else's story to life. Yeah, for sure. And you, um, you brought up uh, Daisy Dukes. You, you do that with, um, Dice, you co-founded that with Dicey Wildman. Yeah, Dicey Wildman and Stephanie Adams. I didn't know Steph was one of the co-founders. I, I knew she yes. was in it. So it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a tri-founding. Yes. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I love Stephanie. Um, Worked with her a few times and um, we interviewed Dicey on on this podcast um, not too long ago. And she's wonderful. Um, Yeah, she really is. The thing about Daisy Dukes is you, it's all female led. It's horror, but um, you, the whole sort of mission and vision statement of this, uh, trio is that mm-hmm. this is about telling stories you couldn't tell otherwise. What, yeah. what does that uh, go into that a little bit? Because you're, you know, you're already doing horror. So it's already sort of shock. Value. <laughs> what, what, what kind of stories are we talking about that you really couldn't tell otherwise? Well, I think it's just about, um, having a female perspective in the horror world. So for a long time, everybody saw the horror genre from, a female standpoint that it's just about, Oh, boobs and blood. Like we just want to see girls in short shorts, which is literally where Daisy Dukes came from. It was the idea of us saying, Hey, this genre is well known for girls showing their butts in tiny shorts. Let's just take that back and, and change the perspective on that phrase and say, no, we are Daisy Dukes and we are taking horror on from a new light. Not that every film we make needs to have some feminist slant, but just the idea that women can have different perspectives within this genre and that there are important stories to be told from the female perspective within the genre. Yeah. It's, um, I watched one of those shorts and, uh, I think Marissa Grindstaff was in it and, oh, yeah. and that was gross and wonderful. Um, <laughs> And I, no, I, I loved it. I thought it was really oh, great. Thanks. And she's, and she's, um, she's like Jerry Seinfeld. You know that, uh, you know, that episode where, where George wants Jerry to stop being funny and yes. <laughs> and Jerry can't stop being funny. Cause he's just fun. Like, that's what I think yeah. about Marissa. Like, she's uh, so good. She, she's one of like my favorite Instagram follows as well, because the, just the funny stuff she does with like food and animals. Right. And I hope that doesn't sound terrible. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> but she I does love it. things with food and animals and it's just naturally very funny. Like yeah. it's funny just to look at her face, even if she's not saying or doing anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, I don't, and I don't mean that in a bad way. <laughs> that came out wrong. <laughs> she's, I hope she takes this as a compliment because that's, that's how I mean it. I, I think it's great. And, and, and the point of view you guys had on that, um, I also thought was, was really cool. Um, and, and again, um, sometimes because of the, the killing and the action and the pace, we can miss the perspective. You know, I've always had this, um, I've always had this opinion that Friday the 13th was a take on how, um, the world was being handed to the children of the rich. Mm. And that, and that Jason Voorhees was, was bucking against that. And that's why in every movie there was a dumb jock and a dumb girl (laughs) trying to have sex with each other in a cabin in the woods that they didn't buy. Mommy and daddy bought it in mommy and daddy's car. And -hmm. then they don't know how to escape because they, they, they got somewhere really far, but they didn't earn it. Yeah. That's the, that's the sense you get from the movie. You know what I mean? Yeah, 100%. And I I think you just hit the nail on the head with so many tropes that became just vital to the horror genre. And I think that's why uh, Cabin in the Woods was so beloved when it came out, because it said, all right, I see you. I see all of these tropes and let's turn it on its head. And I think that's what we enjoy doing as well, because if you don't have tropes to play with, then what are you turning on its head? And the horror genre is just filled with all of these 
iconic little things that you can play with, which is very much what we did with Inside the House, the film you were referencing with Marissa. I mean, that was us taking a very um, 70s slasher Halloween style film and saying, okay, here are the shots you're used to seeing. Here's the way you know this gets set up. Yes, there's a vulnerable girl inside. Yes, there's the creepy guy outside. And then saying, well, nope, there's another story that can be told here. Yeah, and totally flip it, you know, on yeah. its on its on its head. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also think somewhere deep down, the the creators of of movies like Nightmare on Elm Street and and you know you know Wes Craven and and uh, um, and uh, uh, Friday the Thirteenth and all these mm-hmm. movies, I think the creators of these movies are some somewhere stewing and and just deep down upset that. 90% of the viewing audience missed the point. Oh, and that the yeah. point, the point was that we can't let these people run the world. And now we have Trump. Yeah. So yes, oh, <laughs> don't get me started. I will, I will rant with you all day if you want me to. Uh, yeah. There's, there's your curveball. <laughs> <laughs> and now it's a political podcast. And Let's now go. we're, now we're switching up. Okay. Um, Let's get into a little bit of um, day-to-day stuff. You've been doing this sure. a long time. I'm curious, what um, what are the two best pieces of advice uh, you, you've received so far in your career, and, and who did they come from? Oh, my gosh. I I love that question because I love passing on advice. I think the more information you can get, just the better off you're going to be. But I don't know that I have specific people I can um, give credit to. I think all of my peers and all of my teachers and everyone has just always encouraged me to keep going and keep doing what you need to do. Tell your story, make it because nobody else is going to make it for you. And it's been variations of those phrases throughout, you know, all the way back to freshman Jennifer, who was making a video for English class. It's hearing that over and over again that Mm -hmm. has kept me going. Yeah. And I think, you know, I, I wonder what your opinion on this is. You know, mm-hmm. you're a great student. Um, you developed a discipline for hard work. And I wonder if that is where that advice came from, because you, you've yeah. you've been able to project a belief in people. So people believe in you because they see you, you know, how you approach everything. Yeah, um, that's that's really well said. I hope that's where it came from. I think I also owe my dad a lot of credit though. So, um, my family, my father works in the hot tub industry, believe it or not. Mm -hmm. And so I, he's always been running factories since I was a little kid. And I remember as we started getting older, we would come into the factories and he would have us doing this work in these grimy places with all this fiberglass everywhere and terrible smells and it's hot and sticky. And he would always say like, work hard or you're going to work somewhere like this. Not that there's anything wrong with factory work, but he was like, you either work hard and go after what you want, or you're going to work somewhere like this. You make the choice. Oh man, that's, that's great. Thank you for that. That I have goosebumps over here right now. (laughs) Um, Because he, it it is one of these things, you know, my dad is, is my hero Mm -hmm. and um, I was able to watch, uh, his wins, his losses, successes, failures, missteps, um, his optimism around mm-hmm. all sorts of things. And I get to still do it, right? Yeah. This is a great benefit. Um, but so when a dad tells you something like that, that's him uh, swallowing a lot of pride to make sure that you get the lesson. Um, and yeah, I'm so glad. Yeah. Um, I'm so glad you gave him that credit and that shout out. That that that's awesome. That is awesome. Um, everybody that's an independent film is mm-hmm. seemingly one film away, and yes. um, I'm curious what is what is your biggest challenge right now? Biggest challenge is probably not enough time in the day. Um, <laughs> No, I I think that um, I face the same challenge that everybody in the independent film world faces. We all just want to be creative. We just want to make the movies we want to make. We want to tell the stories we want to make. But ultimately, you got to keep a roof over your head. And so 
we have day jobs. We, we take projects that aren't exactly creatively fulfilling, but they pay the bills. And so it's finding that balance of creative fulfillment and just financial fulfillment. And I think ultimately that's my big challenge right now, because while I love where I work and I work for a production company, I consider myself very lucky to be doing what I love for a living. I'm not being creative for a living, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. It does. So that's currently my biggest challenge is just making sure that I am on the path. I'm not getting lost, but I am still being creative. Well, keeping that roof above. Yeah. Yeah. Double down on your artistry. Mm Mm-hmm. Make sure that 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 stays where it's at, and um, and that is so hard. It it is hard because real life is real life, and it doesn't stop. Yeah. So exactly. Uh, you know, you need a week to collect yourself, but you're not going to get it because the bills still come, and the demands are still there, and the needs are still there. So, um, yeah. yeah, it's 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 a massive challenge. You you do a lot of um, work though at, at Watkins, you, you go back and, and you're still doing work there. Um, I saw you there as a matter of mm-hmm. fact, over the last weekend. Um, if you had one piece of advice to give a group of Watkins students, what would it be? Oh, the piece of advice that I think I've been given over and over again, which is no one's going to do it for you. So you better go do it yourself or no one's going to force you to make a movie. So go make your own. Just, you've got to get out there and do it. Because if you're not doing it, it's just not going to happen. And that's Mm. so scary. It's so scary as a a film student to be like, but how? How do you make a movie? Just do it. You just, yes, you call up some friends and you say, hey, I'll buy you pizza if you come over and we can make this skit or film this or do that. And the more you do it, the more confident you get, the more people you network with, the more people you have to call the next time you want to make something. You just go do it. Absolutely. That was the reminds me of the movie. Uh, I think it's called Can You Ever Forgive Me uh, with uh, Melissa McCarthy. I have not seen it. that. It's a great movie. And there's there's a um, the, there's a point in the movie uh, and I won't spoil it for you. But but it's a, a, the whole the, the idea is, is that it's so hard. And the reason it's so hard to be a creative um is that you put everything on the line when you allow the world to see your work. Oh, that's so true though. Yeah. And, and you have to be brave. Um, if you know, there is, it seems ridiculous because we think about bravery being related maybe to the military or having to fight, uh, you know, a disease or, or something like that, or, you know, um, or maybe even in a sport, but as a creative, when you're putting your innermost thoughts out there for everyone to judge you, yeah, um, you know that is literally the, the 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 problem that character had. So, um, I think we all sort of suffer with that a little bit, and and that's why it's hard to just go out there and make because who wants to hear my voice? Who wants to hear what I have to say? Yeah, and we tell ourselves that, and we have to try to beat that voice down if we can do it. Oh, 100%. That's so well said. I totally agree. I can't tell you how nervous I get every time I watch one of my movies. It doesn't matter if I've seen it a hundred times and I know audiences like it. I am still sitting in the back, clenching my fists, going, I hope they laugh. I hope they laugh. Or I hope they scream. Or I hope they do this. It's just, it's terrifying every moment someone watches a piece of your art. Which is amazing because all of your colleagues and friends think you're in the back row being like, yeah, I know you like my shit. That's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, part of my, my mystique, right? Right. Your mystique that you, that you have going on. Um, uh, you're a big fan of, of film and, and um, of, of all levels of budget. And I'm curious, um, which writer, director, producer, you can pick whichever one you want. Which one do you most want to emulate and you know, or, or most admire and uh, what do you think they do from a technical or skill standpoint that makes their work stand apart? Oh, such a good question. Why you got to hit me with these toughies? (laughs) I mean, is it, is it terrible to just go back to John Carpenter? Does that make me sound like I've only ever watched one movie in my life? (laughs) No, go for it. We love who we love. I love village of the dam. The first one, I think it's the best horror movie I've ever seen to to this day. Really? And I just, I can't get over the fact that the guy had to think of a brick wall and that that was the cliffhanger and it was, and and it was intense. 
So yeah, yeah. not not the Kirstie Alley one, the one, the real one. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. God, there's just remakes and redos of everything nowadays. But no, I'm I'm glad to hear it was the original. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I I guess I'm just gonna go with John Carpenter right now. Ask me tomorrow, my opinion might change. Um, but. I think every day you're inspired by someone different and you just got to go with whoever's getting you, your creative juices flowing, just roll with it. But, um, after talking about the thing a minute ago, he's just on my mind and you know, he, he did so many different things and he was so ingrained in so many different parts of the filmmaking process. I mean, the music he made has inspired so many, um, so much of the horror genre that it's just like, I, I can't, imagine myself being a part of a film that creates something like that. So I, I know that everything we do, so with Daisy Dukes, in fact, we just have this new short film called Coming Alive that we mm-hmm. created, and it really started with a song. And we spent forever working with our composer writing this one organ piece because it was like, we need to figure out what this piece of music is going to be because it's going to tell the whole story and so, yeah, I think it's got to be John Carpenter, just his influences, all the different things. And even just how he's done everything from horror to even some really funny stuff. Um, what was that movie called? Uh, Big Trouble in Little China. <laughs> like he's done <laughs> so many different things that I, I hope that I can have as eclectic of a film catalog as him. And I hope that I find ways to make sure that my music drives forces. And I don't know, you got me, you got my, my brain spinning in so many good ways. That was a great question, Chris. <laughs> I love it. It kind of makes you want to go and, and, um, rewatch a lot of those movies and, and go right? through this catalog. Um, yeah. now you got me, you got my juices flowing too. And, and speaking of juices flowing, by the way, you have a couple of uh, interesting habits um, uh, on set, behind the scenes, as you like to be. Oh, and, oh no, do I? Well, uh, <laughs> you're a coffee connoisseur. Oh, I love coffee. Yes, you do, and you listen to music to mm-hmm. to create. And I'm curious, what uh, what genre do you listen to? And do you have like a favorite? Do you have like a go to song for creating in film? Oh, no go-to songs, but I am actually a big classical person when I'm writing or working. So if I'm doing mm, me too. something, yeah, there's just something that I can't put my finger on. And what's also really embarrassing, I'll share this. I know nothing about music. Like you should hear me when I'm trying to talk to a composer. I'm like, it makes like the bump, bump, bump noise. Like I have no <laughs> idea how to discuss music whatsoever. And, um, my longtime partner, Bill Mitchell, who's done so many scores for me is always just like somehow reading my mind and putting my strange notes into brilliant songs. But, um, I think I love classical because it's just inspiring. I get very distracted by lyrics because I want to listen to the lyrics and understand the story of the song. So when Mm -hmm. there's just moving music, you can just allow that to, um, push you forward, but without distracting you, if that makes sense, you can just feel the emotions of it without needing to stop and think about the storyline. Yes. So I really enjoy classical when I'm working, but if I'm doing something like a photo shoot or it's in between scenes on set and we're just redoing something, it's usually got to be something really upbeat and usually poppy. So I can like sing my lungs out because sometimes you just need a little release in the middle of something. <laughs> right. right. So, uh, so, yeah. so who's your favorite pop star? Ooh, um, you know, I have to say I played a lot of Taylor Swift in my life. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing wrong with that at all. I, I, see, you t- I see you tiptoeing into that answer. No, yeah, it's, she's, probably, she's, the, it's she's the queen not. of the South. Right. Yeah. I mean, she's got some good songs. Shake it off. I will never get tired of that song. Impossible. It's impossible to shake that song off once you once you hear it. It's true. That was a dad joke, by the way. Yeah, uh, <laughs> it was a good one, though. It was a solid dad joke. I, I this is what I this is. I have my PhD in, <laughs> in dad, dad jokery. Jokes. Dad jokery, exactly. Um, I am the same way. I will listen to um, the Debussy version of Claire de Lune. 
uh, when I'm writing or trying mm-hmm. to concentrate and I'll just listen to it on a loop. My newest hack, though, and it does have lyrics, but it doesn't seem to affect me because I don't understand half of them because it's in you know Italian, is I will listen to Aretha Franklin's version of the Nessun Dorma, mm. which I think, by the way, and feel free to steal this from me, but oh, or steal it from them. I don't know. <laughs> I think the story of that opera should be a movie if it isn't already. I don't know if it already is, but it, the story is so awesome. Uh, it's this guy who falls mm-hmm. head over heels in love with this princess, right? Okay. And the princess um, uh, refuses, you know, uh, well, first, to marry this princess, you have to answer three riddles correctly. Well, the dude, okay. like the princess doesn't want to marry this guy, but the dude answers the three riddles that no man has ever answered correctly. He answers all three correctly. Right. right. And she goes, I'm not marrying him. I don't care that he answered the riddles. Right. He goes, well, do me this one. If you can guess my name in 24 hours, then uh, I will, I will leave forever. But if you don't guess my name, then you must marry me. She agrees to this because she knows she has power. Mm -hmm. So she employs the entirety of her constituency to find out who this man is and what his name is. And she forbids her, her people to sleep. Wow. Until she has the answer. So she, so through this whole trial of trying to avoid this guy, she's actually become a tyrant. She's now like this scary person to her people. Wow. And then the guy sings the Nessun Dorma to her uh-huh. as the sun rises at 5 a.m. to uh, to tell her, you will never get my name and I will tell you my name upon our first kiss. And it's just this beautiful sort of like wow. layered story. I just think it'd make it like a great movie or short or something. Oh, absolutely. That's like Rumpelstiltskin on drugs. That's amazing. I love that. That's yeah, super- it's cool shit, right? Yeah. Okay, I, I was just wanting to make sure I wasn't the only one. No, yeah. not at all. I've never heard that story before. It's incredible. But yeah, as soon as you were like, oh, the guessing of the name, I was like, oh, I know where this is going. We've all heard Rumpelstiltskin. But it's like, no, that's amazing. Yeah, it's like I it's like it. how, how people will like like turn their personality and their and their better decision making to mm-hmm. get what they want. You know? Yeah. It's um it's a it's a it could be a very interesting people and you could just take it out of the realm of prince and princess too and make it real mm-hmm. hey, there's lots of ways to play with it I'm just saying um <laughs> Jen you have been super generous with your time um this has Thanks. been the most fun talking to you I I, I I appreciate it I only have a few more questions are you are sure. you good yeah yeah absolutely okay you recently had a Christmas in London how did you survive the food. <laughs> Um, it's actually amazing. I'm not going to lie. Shut up. No, it really was. Maybe we were spoiled because actually in London, there's amazing food. So I don't know about the rest. What did you eat? What was Um, your favorite dish? Favorite dish. Um, I had a scotch egg. That was actually really incredible. I've heard those are good actually. Yeah. It was very yummy. I I wonder what the Scots think about England (laughs) serving. (laughs) (laughs) There's <laughs> a lot of pain there. You know what I mean? Um, <laughs> tell me about this movie you have coming up, The Family Hurt. It seems oh, intriguing. Oh, my gosh. I um, wish I knew how close it was, but it is a movie that we've had in development for quite some time. That is something that I've been trying to do with the untrademarked crew. Um, and it is a, f- a film about a... Um, father and his estranged family and how he brings everybody back under one roof when his teenage daughter becomes pregnant. And he kind of starts going to these horrific lengths to ensure that the family stays a family. And it takes place in one house, one family, and it's just about a father's love and devotion, but to a creepy extent. And it is a horror film or is this like a a psychological thriller? No, I call it more of like um it's a family drama at its core. It really is just about a, a dad wanting to do right by his family, but he just becomes so obsessed with what is right that the lines kind of start to blur. Just like our princess in the exactly. Nessun Dorma. 
Mm-hmm. Exactly like that. Well, I'm going to keep my ear to the ground. I think everyone listening should do the same. Um, this sounds like a, it could be a winner structurally speaking, uh, cause I'm already intrigued. Um, mm-hmm. well, it's from, it relates to me. I think every dad out there, um, has an ideal, um, of what their family should be and how it should be. And, and the universe just doesn't give you that, you know, um, <laughs> I always famously remember one of my close friends saying, uh, us having a conversation, uh, before he was married and, uh, I asked him, so what do you want in a wife? He goes, well, I want my wife to be educated, but I don't want her to work. I said, good luck. <laughs> yeah. I want, I wanted to have a master's degree, but I don't want her to want to work. Okay. And he didn't get that by the way. He, he got, he got, he got the education and he got the wife that works and he stays home actually. Oh, so wow. he, he completely 180 to take because in real life, that's what you do when you want to make things work. Um, and I tell you, I'll tell you, like I tell everybody life is, you know, every situation is what you make it. Mm-hmm. Um, last question. How in the world do you and Dicey survive traveling to film festivals? Oh, what do you guys do uh, to survive those? those, those traveling times. Sure. Sure. Um, so it is not a glamorous thing. What we do, uh, we joke about it all the time, but we do it as cheap as possible because we want to go to so many film festivals. We're big believers that if you get into a film festival, that's wonderful. That's great. High fives. But really, if you want to move your career forward and you want to move that film forward, you need to be there. You need to be boots on the ground, talking to people, seeing other films. And so we go to everything that we get into. If we can, every once in a while, we'll miss one. Is there but, any, yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, it's okay. Uh, but yeah, we do it as cheap as possible. Um, I mean, I don't know how Dicey is going to feel about me sharing this, but I mean, there have been times where we've like shared a hotel room and shared a bed and just been like, eh, it is what it is. <laughs> we last year That's went awesome. to this place called um, Brattleboro in Vermont and it was freezing cold. And we were just like, nope, we got to do this cheap. And we literally ate cold cheese sandwiches in the car. <laughs> it's just like bread and cheese. Like, well, this is what we're going to do. Do you hear that, people? That is the filmmaking. <laughs> that is the indie filmmaking hustle right there. Yeah, you just, I'm an adult woman, and that is what I did. There so. you go. You see that? That's called the hustle muscle right there. I like it. <laughs> I like it. Tell everybody, Jennifer, where they can find you on the internet and on social media and where they might see some of your work. Sure. So it'll just be um, daisydukesfilms.com, and we are on Instagram at daisydukesfilms. Real easy. And can uh, they follow you directly as well? Oh, yeah. I am just Jay Bonnier. So. And that is J-B-O-N-I-O-R? That is correct. And is that Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all of them? Uh, Instagram and Facebook. Gotcha. Instagram and Facebook. So do go follow Jennifer, people. You will not be disappointed. Support Daisy Dukes Films. They're doing a lot of great things. Uh, empowering women in film as well. Uh, super proud of uh, what you've been accomplishing in town, Jennifer. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. It's been so much fun. It's, it's my pleasure. Um, any parting thoughts for the audience? Oh, why you got to hit me with these great questions? Parting thoughts? No, just go make it. I know I've said that like five times, but stop hesitating. Just go make films. I love it because, you know, that's our little name of our podcast here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm just a walking billboard. Make it, make it. Perfect. If you could have a billboard, this is like a a Tim Ferriss thing, I guess. If you could have a billboard anywhere, what would it say? It would say, make it. And I think Mm -hmm. that's why we chose it because when you boil it and reduce it down, like everything that goes into the complex world of being an independent film artist and creative, Mm -hmm. it really just comes down to that sort of double entendre of make the film if you want to make it. So um, make the work. So Jennifer, with that, Uh, you're off the hot seat. (laughs) This has been fantastic. Thank you. Anytime. I hope to see you soon. And um, uh, I know you're a lover of coffee, so we'll pick the best coffee shop possible and and chop it up. (laughs) Sounds perfect. All right. Talk soon. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to the Make It Podcast. 
To find out more information on this week's creative, including links to their projects and social media feeds, please visit our website at www.bonsai.film forward slash make it. If you haven't already, you can join our podcast community on Apple Podcasts or the podcast app of your choice by searching for Make It Bonsai Creative. If you do that, the show will pop right up. You can also follow us on Instagram and Twitter at underscore Bonsai Creative and on Facebook by searching for Bonsai Creative. And of course, if you're looking to take a big step toward your filmmaking success, go to www.bonsai.film and click on Show Me How to schedule a free discovery meeting and needs assessment. You have everything to gain. Until next time, be better, be creative, be engaged, and thank you for listening.